Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. We're excited as we get to get to see what God has in store as we jump into this next section of 1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 9. As you heard read, it is a lengthy chapter, and it is what the Bible calls, or what we call a narrative. It's a story, a little different than when you read a lot of the New Testament, like Philippians and Ephesians, where you see more principle-based. This is a story for us. Now, what I want to make sure, <clears throat> excuse me, since it's been a while, because I preached 1 Samuel 8, which was before summertime, and I know I do such an amazing job, you all remember that. That was your chance, so never mind, forget it. But 1 Samuel, in chapter 8, what we saw was the elders came to Samuel, and they said, Samuel, and they were dishonest at first. They said, Samuel, you're getting old. We always love to hear that, by the way. And your kids aren't serving God like you are, and so we need a king. And that really took Samuel kind of in a hard way. And so Samuel went to God and God said, hey, this isn't really my time, but the people want a king. And so we were, I'm going to give them a king. And then you see at the end of the passage, when the elders come back, they give the real reason behind it. They said, well, we want a king because we want to have a king like all the other nations who's going to be able to protect us the way their kings protect them. Now, again, what I think is ironic from that is the end of chapter 7, you see where God, by noise alone, had had a victory over one of the battles of the Philistines. And yet they're saying, we need a king. We want to be like everybody else. So now we see God start to create the avenue in which that was going to happen. So I've entitled today's message, The People's Choice. The People's Choice. So we talked about how we got here. The first verse says there was a man of Benjamin. And I'm not going to read through every verse again because it'll take a long time. I'm going to summarize for you and give you some of the highlights as we go through it. But, excuse me, we see there in chapter 9, it starts off the very first line, says there was a man in Benjamin of Benjamin. Now it gives the, the lineage there. Saul's name in the Hebrew means asked of God. And that really reveal, reveals the, the whole message of who Sam, excuse me, Saul was, as he was going to be the guy that did that. He was the man that was asked of God to lead. And you see that his father sends him out to go try to find these donkeys. Now, why was this so important? Because donkeys was income. That was like, there's a dollar value. Now, they might have even been a better breed. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't say. But this was money he was sending. And so he had a, wanted a, one of his men to go, but he wanted to make sure this was a big deal. So he wanted his son to go to make sure things were getting done the way they were supposed to. And they really were going to come back with these donkeys because maybe a servant could take a donkey and possibly sell it off and and run away and kind of do his own thing. So he wanted some oversight there. And you see, he goes all over the place. I mean, he's traveling everywhere. In fact, a couple of the towns, all the research I did, there's two towns in there, which I'm sure I will slaughter. Rachel, by the way, did very well with all those names, better than I will. But there's two names in there, and one of them is Shalishah, and the other one is Shalim, and both of those you can't find, I couldn't find, and even I read some commentaries, there's no historical record of what those towns were or provinces were. But we know Saul was all over the place trying to find these donkeys until he gets to a point where he goes, hey, wait a minute, we better go back because my dad's not going to worry about the donkeys anymore pretty soon, he's going to start to worry about me and you and making sure that we get back safely. 
Because back then, again, what we have to realize, I think we forget this sometimes, back then, we didn't have the safety that we have here. You don't drive down a highway around here normally, at least. There are certain areas of our nation that you should not drive in. But there's most of the time you drive down, if I'm going to take a trip from here to Pittsburgh, and I take the highway out there, I'm not going to worry about somebody parking a bus in the middle of the highway and holding me up and taking money from me, or beating me up, or worse, killing me. But that happened a lot in the Bible days. They have a lot in this time period. Thieves and robbers were all over the place. So Saul was concerned that maybe his dad would be worried about him. And that's one of the things that I find is interesting that I want us to keep in front of us. We don't want to vilify Saul here that there was nothing desirable about Saul. Saul had a lot of great qualities in him. He was wealthy. He was good looking, the Bible says here. He was formidable. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was obedient. His dad sent him out. We don't see anywhere where he goes, Dad, why me? Why can't you send my brother out? We see that he was loyal. He went out and he kept at it to do what his dad had asked him to do. And he got to a point where he realized you see concern there. Hey, I don't want my dad to worry about me now. Maybe I should head back and we should head back to make sure things are okay. The substitute to God's plan wasn't the problem. It was the lack of contentedness that they had in God. The best choice that we can do is be willing to be obedient and patient to what God's choice and God's plan was. We're going to see later on that the God's choice, the people's choice was Saul, but that God's choice was David. Neither of them were men without sin, but you'll see the heart differences in a huge way as we really impact these two lives. So there was a man of Benjamin. The second thing we see, there, there, was, a, there was a man of God, or there was a man of God. So they're going along, they're out of bread, they've got to turn around, and the servant goes, hey, Saul, you know what? Before we go all the way back without the donkeys, there's this prophet here, or seer, and the reason they used the word seer was because from a God-directed standpoint, there were many times that these individuals could tell people of things in the future, or they had this like wisdom that was uh, the supernatural advice almost, that didn't make sense to them. And so they called them seers sometimes. But when they'd go to them, part of the way that they made sure that the prophets were taken care of is they'd bring some money or some food or something to tell them as a thank you for whatever service that they offered to them. So it was customary to bring a gift. The gift they were bringing was a very small gift. It was a, basically some change bait that, that he was giving, but it was enough, they felt like, at least to say in some small way, hey, we've traveled a long way. We don't really have something, but what we do have, we're willing to give it to you because we'd love to get your direction on where we should go. Then you see what happens is they go to the town and they meet some women there who say, hey, yeah, he's up at the high place getting ready to offer the sacrifice. And again, in these days, the man of God would be called to their town or their village, and he would be the one that would offer the sacrifice. There was usually a meal involved afterwards. And when the sacrifice was offered, it was usually in an elevated place. The word high place here, we normally, and normally we should, have a negative connotation. Because high places, as we normally see them in the Old Testament, were places where they'd put up false idols so that everybody could look up and see that false idol up on some sort of a platform or a, a, or a place that had a rise in their town or perhaps on a hill. And that way they could look back and go, that, there, there's our God. He's elevated. He's up there. But the high place wasn't the bad part of it. It's what they put in the high place. And in this situation, they had the high place so the people, as they came around and gathered, the, the altar must have been there so they could look up and they could see the sacrifice that was being offered as a picture of their sins and what would be taking place later on in Christ's death. 
I find it very interesting that you see here that the man of God was connected into God's plan. He's doing his thing, and God talks to him. He knows what's happening. God keeps him in the loop with things. He knows what he needs to do. And he wasn't hesitant to follow God's plan. In chapter 8, you read about a Samuel who said, Lord, really? I mean, they rejected me, but greater, they're rejecting you, God. And now you don't see anything in this passage in chapter 9 than any way would seem to show any of us that there was any issues. It, It appeared as if Samuel completely embraced the plan that God had. Had. And I think that's great to see that he was committed to live in obedience to God's plan. Then we see in verse number 15, as we continue on, that there was a plan from God. We talked about how he spoke to Samuel. The people wanted a king to give them a physical leader to rescue them from the Philistines. The Philistines were their, their kind of sworn enemies. They were dogging them all the time. And they felt like if we had this physical king, that he would lead us to victory. And God said, okay, I'll give you this king to lead you to victory. And God directed him, you see, specifically to who Saul was, who this man was going to be. Now, there's a phrase in there, if you'll look with me to, um, let's see here, I think it's verse 17. Let me drop down here with you. Um, Let's just start in verse 17. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here's the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me where is the house of the seer? And Samuel answered, Saul, I'm the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that's on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't worry about them. Don't set your mind in them. They were found. And then this phrase, and for whom whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Question mark. And what he was really saying there that I think is important what that phrase means there is, this meant that Saul was going to become the hope for military victory over the Philistines. Because that's what the Israelites desired, is victory over the Philistines. Saul, you are that guy in whom they all desire. And then I like the next phrase that he says there. Um, Let's see here. And for you whom all is desirable, is it not for you and for all your father's house? He put it in a question form, but it was a a statement in a question form. Hey, and it's going to really be you and your father's house that are going to be doing this. Samuel, although initially unsettled, you see him showing respect, though, to Saul. What does he do? He calls Saul in. He puts Saul at the head of the table. That was a spot of honor. There was a portion, usually the leg, that you'll see it states in Deuteronomy, I think it's 17, that talks about how the portion was given to the priest. Samuel takes the portion, the best portion that was supposed to be given to him. He tells the cook ahead of time, cook it, and I want you to give it to Samuel. Excuse me, I want you to give it to Saul. So he gave him his meal. He gave him his spot. As if his way of saying, God, although this isn't what I want, I know it's your plan, I embrace it, and I'm going to show the right honor to the man who's going to be king of Israel. And I think it's important that we note here that Saul's response immediately to this was actually a really good response in verse 21. Saul answered, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? It is not my clan, the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Now, really, this wasn't some false sense of pride. Benjamin was, and I won't go over all the historical reasons, but Benjamin was the smallest tribe and was more of the, one of the more insignificant tribes of all the 12 tribes of Israel. 
So it was more of a surprise, like, you realize, like, I'm from Benjamin. I'm from, like, this little puny tribe. You really think God's going to bring a king out of Benjamin? I would think it'd be out of the house of Judah. I mean, they're kind of more well-known. Or maybe God would bring one out of the Levites, tribe. I mean, the, the, the Levites, I mean, come on. I mean, they, they, they were the ones who were closest to God. So it wasn't necessarily this, oh, you know, well, don't give it to me, because I think you get a little bit of that of Saul as we read on later. But right now, I really think it was Saul going, you realize that we're really nothing? That we, what do I really have to offer? I like that response, because you see at least initially the innocence of that situation, of, of how he responded in that situation. And then verse 22, he took Samuel and the young man, brought him in the hall. We see it drops down there, all the guests. And then in verse number 25, let's drop down to that. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof. He lay down to sleep. Which, by the way, sleeping on rooftops in that time period was very common. Many people slept up there because of the heat. They, it was more protected up there. Um, it was a solid floor. We know that if you even fast forward to the story where the, the friends of the man who couldn't walk and they broke a hole in the roof so they could drop him down so Jesus could heal him. That's both in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think it's all the Gospels. They were hard. They were meant to walk on and to cook on and to sleep on. So that wasn't uncommon. It wasn't like, hey, don't be in my house. That was really a common thing that they had them do. Verse 26 then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, up that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. Now, I think this is really interesting. I never caught this until I studied this. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And we has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. I never caught that before. This is, this is before he anoints him. This is like, okay, you're, the servant's going to see you get anointed, but right now, I just have some things I need you to hear from God. I want to share with you. And man, that would be really cool to hear. What did he really say to him? What were the warnings that he gave? What were the instructions that he offered to him? But he had that time alone with him for special instructions. And then as we go into chapter 10 and verse 1, we see that he was anointed. It says, and Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. That was the customary thing that was done to show that they were anointed or that they were set aside in a specific spot, position. This would be that he was going to be king, the first king of Israel. And he kissed him, and he said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? You shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. His heritage, by the way, is his people. He was anointed king. So we see the story of Saul beginning, starting off as he puts some bread in his sack and heads in his way thinking, I'm going with a servant just to find some donkeys. Has no idea that God's going to lead this to a situation where he's going to actually be anointed king of Israel. This wasn't on his docket. But I think there's some really interesting points that we can draw from this story. So I want to give you some practical applications from this narrative that I hope you can chew on. Wrong choices can look good, but they end bad, so make godly choices. The Israelites had to have started to see, when, when you hear the qualifications, they see Saul, man, I mean, Saul, he's from a wealthy family. Saul's a good-looking guy. Saul's head and shoulders over other people. Saul obeys his dad to go out and look for the donkeys. 
Saul's loyal to his dad. Saul is concerned about his dad, being worried about him being gone. Saul, when he first hears, is like, man, are you sure you picked the right one? That seems humanly like, well, these are good things. And they weren't. It's like I said at the beginning. The story isn't about bad Saul. It's about Israel choosing a man that was their people's choice and not God's choice. See, the people wanted what God was not ready for them to have, and you and I are going to see that they chose a man who ends up running from God. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is this then. What choices are you making that look good, but they're really destructive? Evaluate your life. What choices you're making right now that look good, but they're really destructive? Think of the things that have become idols in our country and in our world. The things that easily obsess us. Things that can be good. Jobs are good. But if jobs own me, that's a bad thing because then I can't be the father, the mother that I need to be. I can't be the husband or wife that I need to be. I can't be the member that God wants me to be. It can become a bad thing when it becomes my idol in my life. Sports, definitely in our culture, can become that way. Family can even become that way. None of those are bad things. In fact, all of them are good things, are enjoyable things. Some are necessary things. But if we're not very solid on what the scriptures say, we have to be careful that we'll be like the Israelites who set up Saul that appeared as we look through this chapter to be a good guy. But it wasn't God's best. And it wasn't God's time. And it wasn't God's man. And the repercussions came, but they came slowly. But at the end, they became tragic. Many Israelite families would lose their life because of the sins of Saul. Many people would lose wealth because of Saul. The nation would be turned away from following God wholeheartedly because of Saul. And I just want to encourage us that it's very good, easy for us to say, but Pastor John, I'm at church today. This is a good choice. I'm a good person. I make good choices overall. There's nothing wrong with living a life of good choices, but the question is, are we going to live a life of godly choices? Good choices don't cut it for Christians. Godly choices do. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of our heart, and don't lean on our own understanding. In Anybody know what the next word is? What's that again? All. In all your ways. That word acknowledge there means submit those. Make sure you put it through the lens of. Acknowledge him so that he can direct your ways. Boy, we love to be the kind of people that go, well, all doesn't really mean all. It means most. It means some. As a child, when I was told to clean my room, and my mom said, I want all the dirty clothes off the floor. I thought if I shoved them under the bed, they're not on the floor. You can't see them. If they're in the closet, they're not on the floor because they're in the closet. The closet floor is different than the regular floor, right? It's funny, and many of you are even thinking, well, yeah. But no, I knew what she meant, but I didn't want to do, put the work into what she wanted me to do or my dad wanted me to do. I knew what all meant, but I decided to do some or part or most. And we're in big trouble as Christians when we decide to make choices that are not God-focused, God-directed, God-designed choices. 
We don't want to be good people, folks. We want to be godly people. Number two, application. God will allow us to have our way, but be prepared for the consequences. Again, make godly choices. God is a gracious and merciful God, but he will allow us to bear the consequences of our choices. Anybody have any scars on their body that are a result of being disobedient? Ooh, I see a few hands. Yes, okay. I have one on my leg from the trash bag I threw and cut through, and I have a nice slice right there. And then I climbed underneath the deck that I wasn't supposed to because we're playing hide-and-seek, and I have one on my back where a nail gouged me, and I kept moving, and it kept going down my back. That was fun. And so I have two that are reminders to me of, John, you didn't obey, and you suffered physical consequences for that. Now, I've gotten in trouble lots of times for other stupid things I've done. My most memorable is the time that I wanted to show off to the babysitter that my parents, we lived in not a very good part of town. I pulled the knife out of the side of their bed they kept, put it back in. They had a water bed. You can understand the rest of the story. <laughs> Didn't go in the sheath, went in the bed, took some clothes downstairs, saw the, 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 the ceiling raining, and I thought immediately, I'm dead. <laughs> that was a reminder that will always be etched. If I ever even hear of water beds, I immediately think, oh, John, that's when you were stupid. I have lots of John being stupid stories. I won't tell them all because my children don't need to know all of them. But you, you understand that we're going to make choices, and, and this is what we have to be aware of. You can make choices outside of God's will, but don't, don't get mad at God then when you face the consequences of them. If you speed and get pulled over and get a ticket, that's your fault, not the bad police officer. If you do something that leaves a mark on you, I cut my back, I cut my side. It wasn't because it was a stupid trash bag or a stupid nail. It was a stupid John. And I bore the consequences of it. Israel would soon see that they would bear the consequences of it. We want to sow our will and reap his blessings. We want to sow our will but reap his blessings. That's not the way it goes. You reap what God tells you to reap, and you're going to reap some, uh, you're going to, excuse me, you sow what God tells you to sow, and you're going to reap some amazing things. You know one of the hardest lives to live is when you know you sowed bad seed, and then God gets a hold of your heart. And you start sowing good seed, but you got to live through the harvest of the bad crop that you sowed. And you got to stay faithful, planting the good seed while you reap the harvest from the bad. But Lord, I'm trying to serve you. Yeah, but did you make stupid choices, sinful choices that you're bearing now that you got to just keep working through and you will see that awesome harvest that God has for you? You can't decide to not be in the word, not pray, not give, not serve, and then reap a rich bounty from God. You can't treat your Christianity like this little box you put in a, a, a drawer or a closet until Sunday and you pull it out. And then when things bad happen, well, you invested your whole life in you instead of in God's plan and purpose. Don't be surprised. If we sow pursuing pleasure, jobs, money, earthly success, don't be shocked when we reap a harvest that comes from those. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says this. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he reap. My wife likes to plant things. She's always dabbled in it. I'm not a gardener at all. Don't like to garden. Don't like to weed. You know, any of that stuff. I do like the bounty that comes from it. My wife, now, 
My wife does not plant tomato plants and hope to get pears off of that. I think that would be pretty cool, but that's not what she's hoping for. She plants tomatoes, and when the tomato plant grows up and they grow on it and they're green and then they're red and we pull them off and we cut into them, they need, we're, we're planning, expecting them to taste like tomatoes. If you go to an apple tree and you pick an apple off of it, you bite into it, you expect it to taste like an apple, and you will. And a cantaloupe and a watermelon and a pear and all the rest. Then why do we think in our lives that we can plant things, sow things, excuse me, or plant, that we know are contrary to God's plan, and yet we're going to reap over here positive and part of God's plan in a good way when we do that. So remember that. God will allow you to have your own way, but you need to be prepared to maturely answer and take the consequences. Another passage you could look up would be 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 on that. And then one last thing before we wrap up. Man's way leads to destruction. God's leads to everlasting life. Choose Christ. Israel rejected God as their king, and God gave him Saul. Mankind has rejected Christ. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3 says this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom the people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Israel may have rejected God as king, but you and I can receive Christ as Lord and Savior today. We can coronate him as king of our life and Savior of our life today. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's learn from the Israelites, first of all, as human beings. Israel rejected God, and we start to see the journey of the man and the coronation of the man, excuse me, the anointing of the man who would be king. Now, what are the lessons we can learn from that? What choices are we making as Christians? Are you making godly choices or just good choices? Are you complaining to God because you've made bad choices and you're reaping that harvest? Because in reaping that harvest, I want to encourage you to consider planting good seed because then you will reap the right harvest that God intends. And the Israelites, you always see it. When they obeyed God and were faithful to God and committed to God, guess what? God blessed them. But when they didn't, God punished them. And I'm reading in Kings right now in my devotions. And the section I'm reading, it's like, and it was the end of Solomon's reign. And, and, and it was the time when God says to Solomon, well, before the end of Solomon's reign, God says to Solomon, Solomon, if you'll obey me, you built this amazing temple to me, you've prayed this amazing prayer, you've spent thousands and millions of dollars on this temple, it's amazing, I want to live here, I'm going to be a presence among the people, and if you'll follow me and obey me, I'm going to bless you just like I did your dad. But if you turn from me, I'm going to bring destruction, and I'm going to take away the throne from your hands. And Solomon goes, yes, I'm going to serve you, God, until he started following the gods of his foreign wives. Until he started, until he started living outside of God's plan. And he started setting up idols to other gods. And God came to Solomon and said, Solomon, you rejected me. I'm taking the throne. Now, you know what? I'm going to let you to have Judah. And I'll allow one of your, your sons to sit on Judah, but all the rest are gone. 
And I read that, and I was like, man, you knucklehead Solomon, you had it all. You were the wisest guy in the world. You couldn't believe, why couldn't you just do this? And then God quickly goes, oh, yeah, John, and what about you? Because now we got the completed word of God, folks. This tells us how to live our lives. We can go to it at any point in time. God puts Christians around us. God knew that we needed a local church so we could have that guidance that's there and that direction that's there and that correction that's there. He put all these things so that we could succeed. So we're going to make godly choices or good choices or evil choices. But the greatest of all this is this. What an amazing picture of Christ. Israel rejected God as throne. Our world has rejected Christ as king. Don't you reject him. If you're here today, would you be willing to take that step and pray that prayer that Romans 10.9 talks about and make Christ your savior? Today can be your spiritual birthday, your spiritual birth into the family of God. It's simple. God made it that way so that anyone could come to repentance. Christian that sits here today, are we stoked again about the amazing message of the gospel as our world continues to live a life of rejecting? What I love about Israel is even though Israel as is a nation rejected God, you'll always find as you read scripture, there was always a remnant that was faithful to God. Will you be in that remnant? I don't know what our world has still. I don't know what the battles we're going to face. I don't know how bad things are going to get, but probably bad, <laughs> probably really bad. Because we know at the end, Christ is coming back. And then it gets really, really bad. But today, more than ever, the world needs folks that are committed to Christ and will share the hope of the gospel with them. Will you join me in starting to pray that God would give you opportunities to share the gospel so that others can hear, the Spirit can work, and we'll see what God does in those situations. God asks us to plant and water, and he'll give the increase. I love that about God. What are we going to do with him today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this story that lays out for us Saul, who's a neat guy. Initially, Lord, he's one you want to cheer for. But Lord, the problem really isn't with Saul. It's with Israel's choice. And Lord, the problem really here is with our choices. We don't want good choices. We want godly choices, Father. Help us to evaluate the choices we're making and ask, Lord, what we're doing in making those choices. Are we going to the word of God or to what's convenient or what we desire or what we feel forced into even, God? Help us, Lord, to realize that consequences come from bad choices. Israel would see that, and we see that. Help us to stay faithful as we... Lord, reap the harvest of stuff we've planted and help us to be faithful to sow, Lord, and plant the seed that you intended for us to plant. And then, Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, that today, Father, they wouldn't try to figure out who you are because you can't be figured out, but that they would, in simple trust and faith, reach out and accept you as Savior, God. And then, Lord, help us as Christians to get motivated and encouraged about the huge task that's out there of the many who need to hear the message of the gospel. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.